Welcome to this session of the PwC U.S. Indirect Tax Podcast. I'm Jamie Brenner, your host and moderator of this podcast, a partner in the state and local tax, uh, lead the New York Metro Indirect Tax Practice, and I'm here together with Rob Morris. Hello, Rob. Hi there. Hi, everyone. Rob is a director in the same practice uh, in New York, and uh, you know, Rob and I are both excited to be here to cover some of the you know, more recent New York tax cases. And we really wanted to highlight the evolving tax treatment, the evolving tax landscape, specifically with respect to information services, software as a service, taxation of bundled and mixed service offerings, and everything in between. <laughs> and so for those keeping score at home, we've definitely witnessed a healthy dose of recent cases. And I'm saying over the past 12 to 18 months, Cases like Wegmans, Lending Tree, It Works, and Dynamic Logic, to mention a few. And so, Rob, with that, it seems to me New York has kind of sort of evolved into applying this primary function test for sales tax, which is, you know, strange new area for us, particularly as it relates to software as a service and information service, kind of a departure from their prior approach. And was hoping you could walk us through what this means for, you know, business taxpayers in New York and, and what we've seen recently in this area. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it all does continue to evolve, but uh, sometimes then go full circle again. So sometimes uh, it can be hard to dissect these different rulings, but um, at least they're coming out, unlike other states that don't issue any guidance. Uh, New York does have a pretty robust system for sales tax to provide guidance and uh, at least give us something to work with. So I think the idea for this podcast was, okay, how can we digest some of this and uh, turn it into something hopefully slightly sensical or logical um, because sometimes these decisions, which are very fact specific, um, can seem a bit inconsistent. And you know, just to set the stage, New York's interesting because from a sales tax perspective, the state taxes software, which includes software as a service, uh, and also a little bit more unique, the state taxes information services. So if you're selling software into New York uh, users or if you're, um, or if you're obviously a, a buyer for your business and you're using it in New York, uh, th these are important issues to understand. As you indicated in the beginning, Jamie, Bundling has, has, has also become a, a key topic because as, as technologies evolve, you've got more and more taxpayers providing products and services that involve technology. You know, everything's a platform now. Everything has a login. Um, and New York's historic position for a lot of that stuff was really a tainting approach. It was this idea that if you have taxable and non-taxable uh, products or services sold in one bundle, uh, their view was technically the whole charge is or could be taxable, even if your books and records separately stated. So what we're seeing is in some respects a an evolution of that, um, whatever you want to call it. But for some of these latest rulings, it was more of an analysis about the true object or what the state calls primary function test. So the way I look at it is, well, what is the customer buying, right? What, what are they really paying for? Are they paying for software? that they can use and manipulate um, and, and perform functions with, or in a, as we'll see in some of these cases, you know, they're really paying for information. They're paying for reports, they're paying for data. Um, and so that's basically the, the way 
some of these um, administrative bodies were were viewing it too. What what's the primary function? So I'm glad, Rob, that you took us through some of the history, you know, relative to how New York approaches these, uh, you know, transactions, particularly walking us through the one, you know, bad apple taints the entire bundle to, you know, the newer approach that we've been seeing slightly different flavor that involves more of a true object test that we're calling primary function. I think that's really important to set the stage. You know, at this point, I'd like to hit you with a lightning round here and get kind of your quick hit thoughts on some of these recent decisions. Give us an idea, taxpayer favorable, what we're seeing and and kind of the impact uh, on taxability in this area. And let's start with the Wegmans decision. Okay. Yeah. What Wegmans has to be discussed, uh, any conversation around information services. This case really went through every administrative and court level up to New York's highest court of appeals. Uh, The decision was back in 2019, but still relatively recent, and it was not taxpayer friendly. I think a lot of practitioners were left scratching their heads on this one uh, because of some of the logic that was applied. And um, it did go back and forth um, in, in litigation. So you can, you can see why it was a close one. And to be fair, uh, interpreting the, the rules and the exclusion can sometimes be tough. But I think it definitely led to a narrowing of this exclusion for personal or individual uh, in nature, which, um, which I guess I should probably explain now that I think about it. Um, we haven't really addressed because... As a taxpayer, you might say, well, if something's SAS or if something's information services, they're both taxable, right? So who cares? But uh, historically, New York's had had a pretty big exclusion um, from the taxability of information services if that information was personal or individual in nature. And, you know, historically, I, I viewed this as I think most most people would ordinarily, which would, would be like, if I'm getting a custom report or something, that seems like it's pretty personal or individual. And I think, you know, historically, that was sort of how it was applied. But over time, and then, you know, culminating with this Wegmans decision, the exclusion got narrowed uh, further and further to a point where if there's any public data or information, either on the input side, which was the case in Wegmans, where they were collecting data from other supermarkets that was technically publicly available, or as we'll discuss on the output side, um, if this data is reported and provided to more than one person, it, it, it loses that exclusion. And, that, and that's a big deal because I think that's an exclusion that a lot of taxpayer his, historically relied on. And because Wegmans is a court of appeals decision, um, you know, that carries a lot of authority. And so it needs to be considered. I don't think that was the quick hit <laughs> maybe you were looking for, but, uh, you know, I got through Eggman's as quick as I could. No, I think that's fair, Rob. There's a lot to that case and a lot of important information to go over. So, so that was great. And so if you're ready for your next one, yeah. and you're waiting with bated breath, which way am I going to go? Let's do lending tree. Okay, so so this is this is really interesting because this Wegman's decision, you know, it's Court of Appeals, it's, it's June 2019, it has a lot of authority, uh, very, uh, you know, not taxpayer friendly. And then we have two recent decisions that came out at the end of the year in December. Lending Tree was one of them, and uh, and the other one we'll discuss next. But they were taxpayer friendly, and Lending Tree is really interesting because it goes back to this characterization test. 
uh, you know, primary function really is, um, is how it's described in New York, but ultimately it was taxpayer friendly. And the question was whether uh, they were selling uh, information services or something else, something that was not enumerated. Uh, and if a service is not enumerated, it's not taxable. So this was a taxpayer friendly decision. It said, look, the true object is not information. Um, I think the court's specific language was that it was just to facilitate the writing of loans for customers, and uh, and therefore it was found not taxable. So that was uh, a check mark for the taxpayer. Great, appreciate the background on that one, Rob. Also, some important information in it. And so maybe we pivot and go to the It Works decision next. Yeah, and this was released around the same time, uh, also a taxpayer-friendly decision. And uh, after reading both of these, I sort of thought to myself, despite this Wegmans decision, it seems like at the administrative level, this is uh, a tax appeals tribunal decision. It seemed like, oh, okay, maybe there is a reversion back to sort of this reasonable test of what is personal or individual in nature. Um, this was a two-part analysis, and uh, the first was characterization, and they determined even though there was a SAS component that the true object was to get these pre-written reports. And then as part of the second part of the analysis, they looked at the reports and they said, you know, these are, these are obtained on the, you know, the input side. They're obtained uh, from a private database. And on the output side, they are um, they're personal and individual in nature. They're not substantially incorporated into reports uh, to others. And again, uh, that was a check mark for the taxpayer. Appreciate that, Rob. Um, and maybe bring us home in the lightning round with dynamic logic. Yeah, so that was a not so fast moment. Uh, that was when uh, you know, uh, I caught my breath and realized, okay, you know, you really have to look at each case, each facts and circumstances, it's going to be different. Um, and honestly, the decisions and interpretations are, are, are different. Um, and in some of these cases, it's a broad interpretation and in others, it's very narrow. And I think this was going back to an, uh, the, the narrow logic where um, the question again was, was it it was, you know, it was found to be uh, an inf information service, and the question was, well, does this exclusion apply? And ultimately, the tax appeals tribunal decided that it, the exclusion did not apply because, um, you know, technically, you know, some of the the information, some of the data, could be incorporated into reports to others. And they were careful to say, even if the report itself wasn't uh, provided to others, just the fact that the, the data, the information could be made, made the exclusion not apply. But uh, that was a check mark for, uh, for New York and, and not the taxpayer. So, so appreciate you running through those, those four recent cases. And, and look, in all fairness, we could have probably spent an hour on each one. So it really was, if you think about it, in a sense, a lightning round for the purposes of this podcast, because we ran through, you know, each one in a few minutes. So maybe, Rob, as we kind of draw the, the podcast to a close here in the next few minutes, I'm wondering if you think there's a common thread or, or kind of a reasonable standard that can be applied, you know, based on these recent decisions. Yeah, and that's the real challenge here. How do we make sense of it? Um, how do we make, um, you know, informed opinions as taxpayers when it comes to these sorts of things? I think that uh, there probably are a few common threads, at least that we're, you know, trying to pull out. The main one with, with bundled services or bundled charges or really this whole characterization issue, uh, the state's position is uh, to look at the primary function. 
And so if it's SaaS or information services or really something else, like in Lending Tree, I think the point was, you know, SaaS is a component of everything now. Everything has a login, right? You have credentials for that. But um, but really you have to look at the, you know, what what is the customer really paying for? And is it really SaaS? Is it really information services or is it something else? Um, and you look at, you know, the contract language, the marketing materials, you know, does it talk about licensing software um, or is it really something different? And then with information services, um, <laughs> you know, that's a tough one. Um, historically, I felt like the exclusion was pretty broad and there were a lot of situations where things were personal or individual in nature and not taxable. But unquestionably, uh, the interpretation's gotten a lot stricter, a lot more narrow. And uh, although it's facts and, and circumstances, it, it can sometimes be hard to reconcile uh, the state's logic. The way I try to frame it is to think about the inputs and the outputs. Um, so on the input side, where is the data and information being collected from? How is it being collected? Is, it, is any of it from you know, readily available public resources? And one of the biggest um, challenges we see is with benchmarking data. So if any reports or information are provided to customers and they include benchmarking data, uh, we've seen that time and again to, um, to be a, a, a way that the state can assert the exclusion doesn't apply. Um, but if it is from, from, a, from, a, from a private uh, database or, or otherwise, then you have to look at the output as well. So what is the customer getting in these reports or in the information they're, they're receiving? And can any of that information or data be substantially incorporated into, uh, you know, or furnished to others? And I think the big challenge with that one is, is, is whether that necessarily needs to be shown or what I'm, you know, seeing, it seems like is even if it's possible, that information could be substantially incorporated into reports to others. Uh, the, the, you know, the courts and tribunals have used that as a way to argue the exclusion shouldn't apply. And if that's the logic, you really can't find anything um, where the exclusion would apply, unfortunately. So I think taxpayers need to be careful. They need to be aware of this stuff. Um, I do think there's a way to differentiate, but uh, you know, it's, it's not an easy path to navigate. There's definitely a lot to unpack and certainly a lot, Rob, that you highlighted um, throughout the analysis in those four cases. Certainly a lot to glean from that as you think about overlaying, you know, your your company's products and services against some of these decisions. So with that, Rob, uh, sincerely appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Uh, thank you. I hope you'll join us on the future session. Absolutely. Anytime. With that, uh, we're bringing this session of the PwC U.S. Indirect podcast to a close. Appreciate you listening in and, and look forward to having you join us on future sessions. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. For our non-audit and unrestricted clients, the advisory services and assistance described range across a comprehensive, multidisciplinary, and multi-competencies platform. For our audit clients, our podcast can be used to provide helpful insights and thought leadership, and under appropriate circumstances, elements of a solution. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. 
please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.